gonna hit record. Luckily, luckily, I know how to say your name because I know DC for a fact doesn't. And that's not a knock on you. He's just not a he's not a pronunciation guy. So we have uh, <laughs> David Primer on the podcast. But I want I actually want DC to do the intro because DC, you know, you guys have known each other for a bit, and you sent me a message like, "Man, we got to have him on all about sales, like the cerebral seller. We got to have this guy on." So I don't know if you remember the context, but um, you guys got connected, and and so now he's here. Yeah. So first of all, I do know how to say his last name, Thank you. <laughs> even, though, even though I am from Queens. Uh, he's trying to, okay. He's trying to stereotype me, David. Just so yeah, you know. no, I understand. My bad, my bad, my bad. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I know Primer uh, because everyone calls him Primer. That's right. Oh, damn. That's that's uh, how you know I'm not I'm not really in the mix. I don't really I didn't know that. No. So David has a long. Uh, uh, amazing, illustrious career in sales. And I got to know him or heard of his legend uh, from a common friend. Uh, and they worked together at Ripple. And so Ripple was this company that we were a customer of back in early HubSpot days. And uh, and David ran sales there. And he kind of had, I, he told me a story about how that happened, how the two of them got connected. And what's funny is that he's a do- they are doppelgangers, right? <laughs> you know? And uh, so he can tell you more about that. And then he went on to lead, uh, have many roles, including being vice president of commercial sales at Salesforce and Influitive and lots of stuff. And now he's on to some exciting stuff in cerebral selling, which I'll let you let him tell you about. And I'm super excited to have him. We have, uh, we've discovered that we are very like-minded in how we think about uh, the changes that are happening in sales. And I'm excited about this episode. For sure. Me too. And it's funny, you know, you asked, well, why do you know, people call me Primer? One of the reasons why that's the case, and it's actually quite timely given the fact that we have three Davids on this call, is yes. that in my first startup where we, I work with that mutual friend that we were talking about, when there was 24 people at the company, seven of us were named David. And so, you know, CEO, the, you know, the co-founder. And so we had to, you know, we had to develop a system. To, to differentiate. And so that's, you know, I became known as Premier then. So here we are, three Davids again on the call. I love it. That's awesome. And that mutual friend is a friend of the podcast and a uh, good buddy. And his name is Daniel DeBeau. And he's CEO of a company called Helpful.com, which we've talked about in the past. Yeah. But go check out LinkedIn and check out Premier and DeBeau and tell me if they're doppelgangers or not. Well, I'll tell you that that night, the last time I saw you, DC, was at uh, the sales event in Toronto. And I don't know if you remember, there was, uh, I was standing beside DeBeau and uh, what the photographer that was at the event kind of tapped me on the shoulder and, uh, and looked at DeBeau and said, she said, twins, twins. And I, and I tapped DeBeau on the shoulder. I'm like, she wants to take our picture. She thinks we're brothers. And she said, no, 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 not, not brothers, not brothers, twins. And so she twins. took the, she took the picture. Uh, I ended up posting it on LinkedIn you know, I, I like to pride myself on posting high value content to LinkedIn, you know, sales yes, tips, yeah, yeah. videos, all that Cerebral. I, I had, there's no other post I've ever posted that got that much traction that quickly than that picture. And to this day, I know not to get too far off topic, last week, I literally, I was, I got connected to someone on LinkedIn and he said, Hey, were you at this building, the WeWork building in Toronto, 33rd floor, giving a talk? And so before I did anything, I texted Debo. I'm like, were you at the WeWork building? He's like, yeah, yeah, I was. I'm like, okay, it happened again. It happened again. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) One city, the two of them. And they used to work together. So amazing. We're here to talk about cerebral selling. Yes. 
So un- unpack this. I mean, DC DC like teed it up with it with a good intro. Like um, Primer, there's so many places that we could start. But what what like what were you doing back in the day um, at Ripple? You were running sales. Yeah, yeah, I was running sales. I mean, Ripple was uh, our third startup, um, and. I had been working with the same crew for a, a number of years, as you know, most people they like to get, get, get the band back together. Um, you know, we got acquired by Salesforce, and I ended up spending five amazing years there. I can't say enough about the experience. But one of the things I've noticed, kind of over the course of time, over you know those those twenty years, is that selling has changed quite a lot, quite a lot. Uh, you know, for a number of reasons. You know, and I think if I were to pick out like three things, I'd say number one, there's just so many more solutions now than there used to be. And so many more overlapping solutions. I mean, you guys know, especially DC from from the HubSpot days, mm-hmm. in in marketing technology, there used to I remember seeing a stat in 2011 there were 150 marketing technology vendors, and in 2017 there were 5,000. And you can't tell me that all those vendors do something completely unique. You know, they all <laughs> there's some some overlap, and you know, mm-hmm. building on the previous idea. But there's so many solutions, and while we think they're well differentiated, the problem is that our customers have no idea. They spend like a fraction of a percent of time giving a shit about what we do. They only care, and rightly so, about their problems. And so to us, to, or to them, we just all sound the same. We all sound the same. You know, we all say, you know, we're going to help you reduce cycle times and improve efficiency and improve conversion rates. And everyone says the same thing. So that's a big challenge. Um, number two is just attention spans have shrunk to minuscule proportions, right? Like we're just mm-hmm. inundated mm-hmm. with all sorts of stimulus and the mobile and the whole thing. And so people just don't have time. Like they don't have, their lives are so fast. They're moving so fast. They don't have time to, to care and pay attention. And kind of the, the last thing is, unfortunately, modern selling hasn't fully caught up yet. I mean, you guys are at the <laughs> forefront of modern. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got me going. You're, you're, you're throwing <laughs> a softball. No, you know, modern selling hasn't caught so up. Happy. Exactly. It's a, it's a softball, but it happens to be what you believe and you've been preaching for a long time and uh, couldn't agree more. And I think you're right, that competitive landscape, like having gone through this, just like you did, like uh, it's so radically different that people don't understand. Like, you know, five, 10 years ago, you had competitors in the, you know, one to five, you know, you, maybe you had five competitors if you were in a really, uh, really hot market, uh, including marketing like we were. And, uh, and now you have thousands. Right. So how do you stand out? How do you differentiate? How do you build a product? And as you said, these things can't be wildly different. So you need a different way to stand out. And that's what I love what you're doing about your content on cerebral selling, which I've been digesting and learning and uh, shaking my head at in a positive <laughs> form. Yeah, yeah. I love it. It's like you're preaching to the converted. Yeah. So, I mean, so, so without like, all right, so, so somebody's listening right now. They're, you know, they're, they're at the gym, they're, they're on their commute, you know, shout out to all the seeking wisdom listeners. But like, what, what is that? Like if you're, if you're in, cause, cause reps, you know, sales reps are still like coin driven, right? Like sales reps still want to make money. That's why they're in the game. Like what do you, what are you out there are telling them or, or talking to people about or shifting like in this world where like, Hey, you don't, you don't have all the power like you had 10 years ago, but there's obviously, it doesn't mean that sales reps aren't getting paid or aren't making money. Like the need for sales reps is still, you know, it's still just as high, but what, what's the biggest difference in how they're like, you know, forced to work every single day? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I think that the biggest thing, because there's so many solutions and attention spans are so slim and, and, and you know, they're narrow margins there. The number one thing is you need to be able to overcome inertia, 
which is, you know, people, a lot of times people think of like a selling system and a lot of selling systems start at discovery. All right, you're sitting down with your customer and now you're going to go through your list of questions and you're going to find out what their pains are. And my feeling is like, you should be so lucky to be sitting down with a customer talking about their pains. You know, the customers are busy, way busier than they've ever been. So you need to figure out a way of getting your message to kind of pierce through the armor so that they even care to listen to you. And, you know, what I found, and certainly working with a lot of entrepreneurs, the way I think about messaging, and that's kind of really the tip of the spear, is that messaging is kind of like clothing. We get dressed, we look at ourselves in the mirror before we go out for the day, and we're like, we look good, I look good. And then we go out there, and we, we, we in the light of day, at the party we're going to at the venue, we realize, oh my gosh, I'm totally overdressed, or I'm totally underdressed, like this is not landing. And so we have to kind of reshuffle. Meanwhile, the idea, right, should be to, to really not develop your messages in a vacuum, to think about how your message is going to pierce through, how you're getting your customer's attention, how you are differentiating yourself and disrupting that inertia. So I think that's that, you know, there's a lot of content that I talk about on cerebral selling, but that's probably one of the biggest areas is like, how do I overcome that inertia? Yeah. The, the other thing that this is so like one of the things that, that we talk a lot, and I, I love just like talking to our sales reps, just as a marketer, they, they're trying to sell to, to me basically. Right. And, um, one thing that this is just a, a rant, but like one thing that drives me nuts about the traditional sales process is like so many reps today still are like, okay, great, Dave, you're on the call. You're going to go through my process right now. Okay. I'm going to ask you the questions that I need to get you to the next step. Right. And that's just crazy because like, uh, like you said, like the discovery process is different now. Like I, I don't wake up on a Saturday morning and I'm browsing your business website. Like I'm on your website and I'm talking to you for a reason. Everyone's so damn busy. I'm not just taking a 30 minute call with you because I because it's fun like there's a clear need and so like I think the whole pro the whole process of like you have to go through my process I got to make sure I ask are you the decision maker do you have budget do you have needs it, like the whole bant process like it just seems crazy but so many people are just have to stick to that script because that's what the model looks like yeah the I call it the polite interrogation it's like here's the list of questions that you will now answer <laughs> right. you know for me and like and that kind of kind of goes to the second piece which is is feelings. You know, I think about it as like a barometer. I did a little video on my YouTube page. Uh, I called it okay, not okay, which is a thing that has existed in sales for a long time, which is you're working with a sales rep. And uh, we've all worked with sales reps in our lives that at some point in that, that discourse made us feel not okay. Like you did something that was sleazy, or you said something, or you made me feel pressured, or you subjected me to a polite interrogation. And we have to be really conscious about how we're making customers feel because feelings is actually one of the, the biggest kind of drivers of, of selling and affinity, especially now, empathy, feelings. And so when you subject someone to your discovery list of questions, you make them feel not okay. And when they feel not okay, you erode the trust in that relationship. So you always have to be mindful of, you know, just because I have all these questions doesn't mean I'm going to you know, they're going to answer them. And so forming, you know, we always talk about being a trusted advisor and forming the trust and rapport in selling is really important, but it has never been more important than it is now. Do you think the biggest fear though, is that like the rep, like reps don't want to lose control, right? So like, yeah, I have to make you go through this because I'm, I'm going to control this conversation. Yeah. You know what? I got news for everyone. You, you don't have control, right? The customer has way more information than they ever have. Like, you know, if you want to know how little control you have, just go on to Google and put in your company's name and type re reviews after it and hit enter and see what happens, right? Like you're going to get all sorts of insights and context that 
in many cases you don't control, right? So you, you know you always have to be working at the speed of your customer and and have a lot of empathy. That's the other thing. You know when I talk about cerebral selling and like what is this kind of new kind of selling? It's it's based on these three factors of science, empathy, and execution. And the science is just really about doing what works, right? Like looking at the data, like the data tells us that people buy from people they trust, they buy on recommendations from peers, right? Like this is the new, you know, the data tells us that most messages fall flat. The data tells us that most people, when they look at your website, have no idea what the hell it is you do, right? So how are you leveraging both the kind of the persuasive forces, the science to kind of get your message across? And then, you know, empathy is huge. You know, no one wants to be subjected to the healthy interrogation, you know, uncomfortable cold calls, pressure at the end of the month. Certainly, yes, as salespeople, we have quotas, we have expectations that are placed upon us. Sales is an amazing, you know, I got into, we didn't talk too much about background, but I got into sales by accident. Uh, Like most of us, I'm sure in sales, your listeners out there, I started my career as a research scientist doing graduate work in, in engineering, building computer models, and got into sales at the turn of the dot-com boom. And then just in case I, nobody believes you, go to go to your website. There's a hell of a picture from back in the day of you. So they've been selling dot com. Does he have a fro? Oh, Does he yeah. have a fro in it? And a lab coat? Yeah, he might as well. No, he has like a shell uh, necklace and like uh and he's got uh, like a bunch of a test tubes around him. I don't know what's happening. Hold on. But yeah, you do. You have like a shell necklace. Oh, or <laughs> yeah. That was, you know, my girlfriend, who's my wife at the time, you know, got me, yeah. got me a necklace. Yeah. It was really nice. Uh, that was the summer of 1997 for those keeping score. Love it. I, it was, it's, I had Gene Simmons hair going on back then. <laughs> it's good. But That's you amazing. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> so, no, this is, this is actually a good transition. Cause I know, like I, I know DC and I were talking about this before, like, you know, fascinated with you, with your early, with the early learning. So like, you know, get the story now for sure, the shift to, you know, cerebral selling, definitely, I would push people to go check out your site. But like, what did you, what, what did you learn in, you know, spending five years at Salesforce? Like the way you talked about that, it was so powerful for you in your career, but I, I would love to dig into that a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, I, I got an appreciation for how sales machines are built at scale, because one of the things as a, as a sales leader, when you're designing a comp plan or you're carving territories or you're trying to figure out how to you know, get your message to land and you have 10, 20, 30, you know, 40 reps, it's great. But you're, you may not see the trends and patterns that you see when you have kind of that widespread scale, when you have thousands of reps all saying the same thing in different locales, right? Like, how is the message landing? Where are we falling down? Like, what what is the actual customer need? You just have so many more tentacles when you are uh, operating at that scale, which is awesome. But, you know, I'd say like also kind of the the reverse, you know, it, it, it can tend to me be that, you know, when you work for a big company, the, sometimes the sense is that you know we look we have a great product everyone should know about us you know we're we're in the you know the the Gartner Magic Quadrant the top right hand corner, and really you know what I kind of took as being a, a a Salesforce customer twice before and then once after, is is back to that empathy is you know you go into the organization you say like hey look you know this is what you're doing is great but like I was a customer couple times before, there's lots of things that you could have actually done that wouldn't really have cost you any money that could have added tons of value. To my experience, you know, especially a lot of small businesses, they're looking to understand how companies operate at scale. You know, what did you learn as you were building Salesforce? You know, and, and the funny thing was Salesforce wasn't an old company when we were acquired, you know, like 13, 14 years old. And so there's a lot of 13, 14 year old companies out there that are not, you know, $5 billion companies. What did you learn building that? And so there was a lot that I felt that Salesforce could actually share with the community. And 
interestingly, when, when I got there and we started running some of these, I would say, you know, value added, no, this is not a timeshare pitch. You know, there's no thin, thinly veiled product that's going to kind of creep in. You know, we actually started adding value to customers and, and engaging some of these high value events. They were actually the highest, ironically, ROI events that we had because this, the power of reciprocity, something I talk a lot about on my website, mm-hmm. you know, add value to people with no expectation of anything in return and watch what happens, right? The science tells us that people feel indebted to, to, to those who help them if you can legitimately help them and, and not veil it with a thin, uh, thin product pitch behind the scene. So I, you know, I can't say enough about my experience at Salesforce. It was uh, amazing, really amazing people, really amazing culture, really cool to see on both sides what, what happens when you bring the entrepreneurial spirit to a big company and then also you know, on, on the reverse when you get to see things at the big company at scale. And um, unpack that uh, those events there. I'd love to learn and love for all of us to learn, like, what was different about those from what you had seen done before? Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the biggest difference, there was no product pitch. You know, I, I think oftentimes when we, uh, you know, we, we have corporate events, we talk about the, you know, uh, trend or pattern that we see, and it's all kind of still related to comes back to our product. Um, so the, a couple things that we did, you know, we we got the right profile of people in the room. You know, typically, we try to focus on, um, you know, executives. And the topic for most of these sessions um, was not, you know, how can Salesforce help you run your business, but just things like prioritization, focus, like what are you focused on in your business? One of the, I know you had uh, Sangram uh, on your show, and uh, he's a big one thing guy, the book, The One Thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we connect. I'm that? like a crazy guy. Where did he get that idea? I wonder where he get that. Where did he get that? Sounds familiar. Did you guys start well, that? Every person that starts a drift gets that book, podcast? baby. Oh my yes, gosh! 100%. I'm a one thing fanatic. Like if you look at on my blog, I have a, a blog post called Top Sales Reads: um, to Drive yep. Focus, Empathy, and Execution. Not only is there, you're gonna love this, guys. So not only is there um, the one thing is my favorite book and is at the top of the list. There is a picture of me that my team that ran the Boston region uh, got me. So I, I think it's on the, on the site. There's a picture. It says, it's, my, it's a, me wearing a T-shirt. It says uh, Boston versus everyone. And uh, it says one thing. On the, it is on there. I'm looking at it right now. It says one thing on the back. And so this was the book. I'm, so we're, we're on the same page, guys. This is the book. I used to give this to executives. And we used to use it as the foundation for our, um, our executive dinners and events. We'd say, hey, look, everyone's busy. Everyone's focused on lots of different things. What's the one thing that you are focused on in your business? And um, and and we gave people copies of the book. You know, I would give copies of the book to people on my team and so on. But the executives really appreciated being able to talk about their their business problems that may or may not have had anything to do with the software that we were selling with other people like them. Even just the simple gift of a book, which I feel is is actually quite lost nowadays. People don't people don't read. So lost. So lost. It was yeah. a it was it's a huge Amen. deal, right? And so um, you, you give them a book, you talk about the challenges you have in their business, you connect them with uh, other like-minded individuals. You don't pitch your product, and that's actually the real trick, especially when uh, you know I teach a, a technique um, uh, which is not you know unique to me, but I, I call it the belief statement. Which if you go on the website, there's a uh, a blog post called "Sell More by Leading with What You Believe," and the idea is you pitch your product in terms of the vision and the problem that you're solving in the universe, but you don't talk about your product, right? And as soon as you start talking about your product, people immediately tune out. 
So like that's the real key with these events. So back to like the sales, back to the events, they were super value add. We gave copies of the books. We got people to open up. Literally, if anyone's wondering like what the mechanics of like, what does this kind of event look like? You literally go to a restaurant, you get yourself a private room, you have like 10 to 15, you know, executives kind of keep it intimate. And you literally just, you introduce the book, you talk about, you know, hey, look, this is one of my favorite books. I read it. I loved it. Here's kind of what I took away. And you literally just go around the table and you get everyone to like, what's your one thing? Like, what's the one thing you think that's holding you back? And uh, you get everyone to talk. And it, and I actually prefer like the quiet kind of environments, not the environments where like there's a lot of cross chatter. I like it when everything's quiet. It's like a study group. Everyone's listening to each other. And um, those were the highest ROI events because we measured them that uh, that we did in our segment. I'm going to ask you this, but I didn't want to, okay, this is a good time to do it. Okay. So you got the one thing, what are like, if I'm, if I'm listening to this and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm digging what you're saying about sales or just, I want to, I want to follow the path of a guy who was a VP at Salesforce now starting his own thing. Like what are, what are the other books that you, that you recommend the most to people that are, that are out there at any point in your career? Like what, what would I come into your house or your office and, and get if you're like, okay, here's a stack of three, five, two, whatever books, how many? Yeah, yeah. So again, they're they're all on my website. The one that isn't there, which I really love as well, is Dan Pink's book "To Sell as Human." Um, I love books that, um, as a like as as a scientist and a very curious person, like I was, I'm always. To me, I've been in sales for a long time, and I love it as a career and as my passion. But it's also, in many ways, it's an academic pursuit. You just keep learning and getting better at it. And so I love books that not only. Uh, teach you something, but use data and things that you know things you can put into practice right, right away. So I love the one thing, uh, Dan Pink's "To Sell as Human" is another really great one. Just kind of it really levels the playing field as far as like everyone being in sales and just kind of humanizes this idea of like what is selling and 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 the fact that nowadays if you want to be a top seller, you know being a top seller is 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 as complicated a pursuit as reading a CT scan or designing a house. So I love the I love um, to sell as human. Um, I love the book Essentialism. There's a book called Essentialism: The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And again, I, I feel like in our lives we're always struggling with choice and what should I do. And I'll tell you, you know, for for the younger folks in your listening audience who are in sales, sales in many ways is the worst from a career standpoint because you're always sitting beside someone who is doing the same job as you, who wants to get that promotion. Oh, you know, I'm in small business. I want to get promoted to now be in mid-market. I want to get promoted to be a manager and then promoted to be an enterprise. And oftentimes we think about what we should want instead of what we actually want. It's very easy to get caught up in, in, especially in sales. And so I love essentialism because it's a great level set for like, what is it you actually want? Um, I love the book, Yes, 50 Scientifically Proven Ways to Be Persuasive. It is one of the, the other books that, that is standard reading for people on my team. It's like 50 short chapters of just like little things that um, can help you understand how to be more persuasive in your everyday interactions. The fact that we're all called David on this call is an interesting one. It, it means that, you know, sub, subconsciously we're going to have a, a strange affinity for each other. Um, <laughs> Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek is another awesome one. Uh, I'm a big Simon Sinek fan, and I love Leaders Eat Last because it's it goes into like the science and the physiology of leadership, um, which is awesome. Um, I love Emotional Intelligence 2.0 uh, is a great one. Let's get real or let's not play. And then I like the tactical ones. You know, I, I actually I really like the Sales Acceleration Formula by our friend uh, Roberge. 
Um, I like Hacking Sales by Max Altschuler as well. Like I, I, I like the tactical ones, but for me, I find that because we're in an era of of empathy and how empathy is so empathy and focus and distraction and inertia, I love the books like The One Thing, Essentialism. You know, yes, the things that give us an edge to understand. You know, what are these kind of secret forces that we can you know use not to you know, I say to our advantage, not in a subversive way but in a very pragmatic way to, to be successful in our jobs. Love it. I hope everybody's out there is quite, I hope, I hope the listeners right now, nobody's, nobody's uh, writing while they're driving, but they got the list. Um, DC, you got to go in four minutes. So do you want to, why don't you take us out of here? All right. If you like cerebral selling, if you like my man, Primer here, hit him up on his blog, check it out, shout out at him. Remember to check LinkedIn and see if he is a doppelganger with Daniel Debeau of Helpful. If he is, let me know. Uh, holler back at me. And don't forget the most important part, six stars only. Uh, go to yeah. the Apple Podcast app, leave a six-star review. If it is still broken, complain to Apple first. Then second, leave a five-star review for us just in case. Holler at Primer in the comments and tell him what you would like to know about his past adventures and where he's going. Yeah, and also, um, I don't know if you know this, but hypergrowth.drift.com, big hypergrowth this year. We're doubling down Boston, uh, September 4th, uh, San Francisco, September 24th. Maybe we'll even have Premier speak. I mean, who knows? Anything can happen. So go get your tickets. Use the the promo code SEEKINGWISDOM. Uh, It's a $500 discount for any Seeking Wisdom listener. It's it's ridiculous. DC doesn't want me giving away tickets like this, but I'm doing it anyway because I want you to. Don't do it. Don't do it. uh, Premier, thanks for making it happen. We appreciate you coming on. Oh, my pleasure, guys. This is great. I'm glad we made it happen. happen.